So we're, we're, we're on this series, The Best is Yet to Come, a victorious view of the future. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have set up a kingdom that has no end. We thank you that Jesus is on the throne. We thank you that we have been adopted as your children. We are citizens of heaven. We are sons and daughters of God. We have the greater one that lives in us. Victory is our future. And bringing heaven to earth is our destiny. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us and guide us into truth, that uh, you would awaken us to our sonship in the kingdom, that you would awaken us to the call of the church in this earth. And we thank you that uh, we are going from glory to glory in Christ Jesus. We receive this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we got some good news for you. Jesus is coming back for a victorious church, one that has put his enemies under his feet. Right? Amen, right? So guess what? If you look out there right now and you see the kingdom of darkness on the warpath marching, marching forward, guess what? It's good news. It's good news. You want to know why? Because it's not over yet. It's time for the church to rise up and preach the truth of the kingdom of God, to change the hearts and minds of, of, of humanity, to, to take our place as the redeeming salt, the, 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 the salt that gives flavor and preserves this world. Amen? He's coming back for a victorious church. The church is going to grow in glory until the glory of God fills the earth, and then this will climax into the return of our King and the full redemption of all creation. Jesus Christ is coming back for a victorious church, not a defeated church. Amen? Amen. The goal, the goal of this, this, this series is to show you a vision for the future. It's probably a little different than the ones that you've been given by other people. But it's one that you can choose because it's very, very biblical as, you will, as we have seen and we will see. This vision for the future that will um, ins give inspiration to move forward with courage, to plan, to imagine, to dream, and believe God for greater things, to invest in the next generation and allow Allow God to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or dream up according to the power that is in us. Amen? Amen. There are so many Christians that have failed to dream, failed to, to start that business, failed to start the families, failed to, uh, to invest and to invest in the next generation and, and just write people off and say, everything's supposed to get worse and worse and worse. That's not true. That's not true. Jesus won. Jesus won. And this is what we as a church have to awaken to. Look at what the statement that Jonathan Edwards said. Jonathan Edwards said, The visible kingdom of Satan shall be overthrown, and the kingdom of Christ set up on the ruins of it. Amen. Everywhere throughout the whole habitable globe. You don't hear that preached too much. You hear gloom and doom. 
right? Grab the back of your pew because the earth, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what a handbasket is, but we're going there. No, we're not. The church is rising up. Last week, we started looking at the, the following three questions that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24. Matthew, or Matthew 23, excuse me. Matthew 23. Is that right? Yeah. No, 24. It's 24. I got the wrong scripture reference there. So Matthew 24, verse 3 says this. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is talking about Jesus, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples asked Jesus three questions, not just one. That's important because a lot of people take this statement to say, this is all the signs of the end of the world. That's not what the disciples asked. They asked three questions, and Jesus answered, uh, answers in the following verse. So, so when you look at Jesus' answers in the following verse, if you take this to be only one question, you're going to get really screwed up. But if you understand that Jesus is answering three separate questions, then everything falls in the line. So the questions are, when will these things happen? Question number two is, what will be the sign of your coming? And question number three is, what about the end of the age or the world? And last week, we started looking at the first question. When will these things happen? And we've seen that before you can look at Jesus' answer to this question, we needed to find out, we needed clarification on what are these things that were going to happen. And we've seen in Matthew chapter 23 that these things was Jesus' judgment on the temple and Jerusalem, on the religious leaders of his day. He, he, he prophesied the destruction of the temple in the city, city of Jerusalem. If you, if you need to, get that teaching. It's online. It's um, on YouTube. It's on uh, iTunes. Get it. And we've seen that these things, so these things are what? The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And Jesus said that this would happen. He said it twice, that this would happen in this generation. The generation that he prophesied this to, that it would come true in their gener generation. And did it happen? Jesus prophesied this around 30 AD, and the temple and Jerusalem was destroyed, just like he said, 40 years later in a generation in 70, 70 AD. So Jesus was not a false prophet. What he said happened exactly. It's almost eerily how exactly his statements came to pass. And in Matthew 24, verse 4, And Jesus said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. So what is he talking about here? Is he talking about our time right now, that there's going to be a lot of Christ coming and misleading many? Is that what Jesus is saying? No. He's saying, before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, there will be false Christs that come. 
Now, does that mean that there isn't false Christ today, people that rise, raise themselves up and stuff? Yes, there is. But what we're talking about is what Jesus is talking about here. You understand what I'm saying? What, do these prophecies have to do with the time we're living in or the time that Jesus said that they would be in that generation? And last week, we've seen how history recorded that within that generation, as Jesus said, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, many false Christs rose up claiming that they were the anointed by God to deliver the Jews from, the, from their Roman captivity and bondage. See, that's, the reason, that's one of the reasons why um, the leaders of Israel rejected Jesus is because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They, he wanted, they wanted a Messiah that would deliver them from Rome. And Jesus came to deliver them from a much, much greater kingdom that was holding them in captivity, the kingdom of darkness and the power of sin over their life. This takes us now to verse 6. In the second sign, when these things, what are these things? The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple would take place. In Matthew 24, verse 6, it says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Who is not supposed to be frightened? Who is he talking to right now? Directly to somebody right now. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, his apostles, the apostles of the gospel. He says, he says, you're going to hear some stuff that's going to be happening. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Do not let it terrify you. See, that's, that's what's so great about the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things about the Holy Spirit is he will show us things to come. He shows us things to come so we can prepare and be ready for it, that we can settle our heart, right? When, he, when God shows you something that's going to, that's going to come, that is an opportunity for you to strengthen your heart in that. Be prepared. Know how you're going to react so that you can be strong and victorious through the storms of life and not falling apart like the world does. So wars and rumors of wars. What is interesting about this prophecy that Jesus made sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking at the temple almost 2,000 years ago, was that at that time, there were no signs of wars, not even rumors of wars. The power of Rome was stable. Rome ruled the earth. And it was stable, strong, irresistible, and it seemed to be permanent. That it was never going to go away. As a matter of fact, a lot of, a lot of uh, Caesars tried to say that they would distinguish the church and that Rome would be, Caesar was Lord. Well, Rome burnt and the church is alive and doing well today. Amen? History called this period Pax Roma, Rom, Romana, meaning Roman peace. That was this period of time that they were living in. This is a little history. And this is more of a teaching than a preaching, so I hope that you guys are interested in this stuff. 
If not, you only got about 12, 12 weeks of it or more. So, um, now understand that even though there was this peace during this time, you know, the, the enemies of Rome wouldn't have spoke so graciously about it. You know, the Jews wouldn't say that they were living in peace because they were trying to rebel and rise up against Rome. But as far as Rome as, as, a, as a world power, it was, it was stable and, and had, had no issue. So Jesus, Jesus prophesied that there were going to be coming wars. In the midst of peace, in the midst of stability that the Romans brought, he said that that was going to disappear, that there was going to be, there was going to be wars and that there was going to be rumors of wars. And what's funny, not funny, but interesting, is that Jesus' prophecy came true within that generation. Wars began to break out all over the empire. The Jews lived in constant fear. The first thing that happened was 50,000 Jews were slain, and then 20,000 more Jews were killed in Caesarea. And then in, in AD 66, 50,000 Jews were killed in Alexandria. And within 18 months, 18 months, four emperors in Rome were violently murdered. Civil war broke out in the whole city of Rome. Think about that. Think about if we had a president, we had four presidents in 18 months get assassinated. Think about the, the unstableness of that. It was truly a great time of turmoil. And there was constant rumors of new rebellions happening all over the Roman Empire. Just as Jesus said. And they said that this was a sign of this, that the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was about to happen. So that takes us to the next sign that Jesus gave. In Matthew 24, verse 7, And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. So the question is, is did famines occur in the generation of, this, of the disciples. Well, the Bible even records of these famines. See, this is important. This, this, is, this is so that you can be stable in your thinking, that you're not tossed to and fro, that, that you have a ship with a rudder on it. When you understand Scripture, you, when you see things happening in the world, do famines happen today? Yes, they do. But does that mean that your mission is over? That we, that we should just go hide somewhere and not continue to press forward and expand the kingdom of God and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? No. We, we, we continue going because these prophecies that Jesus gave has nothing to do with what the time that we're living in. And I know this is like you're, you're saying... Chad, how can this be? I've never, this isn't what I was taught. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I used to believe differently too. But then you read in context. All we're doing is going line by line, precept by, by precept. We're not, we're not adding any, any of my ideas to it. We're looking at what Jesus said, 
And then we're comparing what actually happened to these prophecies. And this should make you happy. There's so you, you would be shocked at Christians that are stressed out thinking that the world's coming to an end and that it's going to be terrible times. And I, and I know that this is hard because most Christians are pessimists, right? We, we, we naturally think negative. But you know what? You can't be in faith and think negative. You can't be in faith and think negative. You know, there's lots of times in the Bible that people had a chance to think negative. When, when Moses was up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh was crashing down on them, there was a chance to say it's all over, and lots of the children of Israel did. But then God. When Goliath was standing in the valley, and it looked like Israel was going to become the slaves of the Philistines, It looked like it was hopeless. But then God, through a little shepherd boy. You know, you can go on and on. It, it looked like, you know, the disciple says, we're going to die. Don't you care? We're going to die. And, and Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. And immediately they were on the other side. <laughs> you know, you're locked up. James, one of the apostles, was just run through by a sword. And you're Peter, locked up. And all of a sudden, an angel kicks you in the side to wake you up because you're sleeping so peacefully because you're resting in the grace of God and leads you out. And the, and the church that's praying for Peter's deliverance doesn't even believe it's him at the door when he knocks. Paul and Silas singing after being beaten and thrown into the lowest parts of a of a of a of the dungeon in the midnight hour praising and singing unto God and an earthquake happens and the and the and the glory of God fills that place and the, the prison doors open up and no one leaves because why would you leave when the presence of God is there? I don't care what's going on in the world. We have a God that's on the throne. And we're going to see suddenly, we're going to see and then God happen. And, but we cannot be a church. We, we, the church as universal in us ourselves, we cannot just sit back and expect God just to move. Everywhere in the Bible, he worked with humanity. Right? Paul and Silas sung. David had the stone. Moses stretched forth his rod. We are his body. And he's called us to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or even dream up according to this power that works in us. You young, you young kids here, you, you teenagers, you young adults, you have a great future ahead of you. You just heard of a young man here that's going to change the world through media. And you can do the same thing. God has called you to be an influence for his kingdom in whatever sphere he puts you into. 
Because the best is yet to come. So what about these famines, huh? The famines and earthquakes. Did, did the famines occur during the, the generation of the disciples? In Acts chapter 11, verse 28, it says, One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the region of Claudius. See, today, if, if, if we had a prophet that said there is coming a famine, most people in the church would just say, it's over, it's the end of the world. But this wasn't why God told the church this was going to happen. He told the church this was going to happen so they could prepare to be ready. The famine was so severe that the region of, of Judah, that, that, that there were um, two separate places in the New Testament that Christians took up offerings and collected money and sent it to the believers that were suffering in, in, in um, Jerusalem because of the persecution that we're going to get into next week. And that's found in Acts chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 3 where they took up offerings for those that were suffering through the famine. Another thing is that the historian Josephus wrote about this devastating famine. He says that children would steal food right out of the mouth of their aging parents. They would take it right out of their mouth. He wrote that, that mothers would steal food from their infants. He said that if... If, if a home was shut up, if the doors were shut and the windows were closed, the citizens of the city would think they got food in there. They would bust down the door. They'd grab people by the neck and take the food right out of their mouth. They'd choke them so they couldn't swallow the food. That's how bad this, this famine was. They'd take, they'd, they'd take children that clung to their bread, and they'd lift them up off the ground and slam them to the ground to get the food from them. Man. Jesus, knowing about these terrible times to come, said this to the women of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 23, verse 28, it says, But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem. Of where? Jerusalem, not the earth. Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. I've heard Christians say, Christians say, non-believers, Christians say that who would ever want to raise children in, in the times that we're living in? This is what we've preached. This is what we've trained and taught people to fear having kids. No, the reason why we have kids is because we want a godly heritage. We want to transform this world. We want to raise up these, the next generation of offspring to be mighty champions for the kingdom of God. Have kids. Have as many kids as you want. Because the best is yet to come. We can't write off this generation. The church writes off these generations, and then the world recruits them, and now you see what's happening out there. 
So what about earthquakes? In Matthew 27, 51 and 52, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep rised up. That's the scripture you don't hear preached very much, that there was a resurrection that happened. Amen. They went, they, they went to heaven with Jesus. They actually went in and they, they, they preached, preached unto the, to, uh, to people. That's, that's awesome. And then in Matthew 28, too, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Not only were there two major earthquakes that happened at Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, History tells us that a few years previous to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 was a time of unusual high seismic activity. The most famous earthquake was the destruction of Pompeii in AD 63. Now, what you have to do is you have to understand that there was an earthquake in AD 63 that destroyed Pompeii. This is separate and different because what was happening is after that earthquake, they started rebuilding Pompeii. And a few years later, I don't know off the top of my head, it was 100 AD or something like that, a volcano erupt, and that's when it kill, killed everybody in the city and covered the whole city. So there's two separate, separate occurrences. I mean, you, you'd, you'd be, you know, that would almost make you superstitious there. If you have an earthquake, it wipes out your city, you start rebuilding, then a volcano erupts and covers the whole city and kills everybody there. But the writers of this period also tell us of earthquakes of, at uh, Colossia, Smyr uh, Smyrna, um, Miletus, Chios, Laodicea, Samos, Heropolios, whatever. Cree, um, Rome, and Judea. These all had earthquakes leading up to um, 70 AD. And then in Matthew 24, verse 8, it says, But these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. So all of these things, Jesus is prophesying to these things that are going to happen to the, he's telling the disciples that these things are going to happen. But this is not the end yet. This is just the beginning of the end. When we take Jesus' statements out of context, that he said them, to, when we take the, his, his statements out of context to, to when he said them and who he said them to, we can get the idea that today's present natural disasters are signs of the imminent return of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. It's not. What Jesus said was this was signs, and it's only, these signs were only the beginning of birth pains leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the temple of God. He made it clear that these signs would happen within that generation and that they would be signs not of the end of the world, but of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Can I have the worship team come back up?
The ancient Christian commentary, it says this, speaking of Jesus, speaking of this, um, these scriptures that we read, he speaks of the preludes to the troubles of the Jews. All this is but the beginning of birth pains. That is of the troubles that will befall them. Next week, next week we're going to continue in Matthew 24. We're going to look at tribulations and persecutions. If, you, if you've never studied the persecutions of the church, um, get ready because uh, um, we're going to be looking at this in two different aspects. We're going to look at it in this teaching, and, and then when we move forward into um, Revelations, we're also going to look at the persecution of the church and the violence and what they suffered. We, we live in such a, a great time. We, we, think that, we think persecution is a co-worker looking at us cross-eyed because we um, had a I Love Jesus sticker on our computer or something, you know, or on our screensaver. We, we do not know of persecutions. And tell you the truth, um, we have brothers and sisters around the world that are, that are facing persecutions like we, we have ever known. In, in China, um, in Africa, they are, they are murdering and killing by the thousands. And, and uh, I, when I hear that stuff, the only thing I can think of is the stories that I've read. Um, I've heard there was a uh, movie called uh, The Finger of God, I, th- I think it was, and they were talking about these Afri- African Christians that uh, Muslim militants were coming into their vi- village. And the mother told her daughter that she should count herself blessed to die for the name of Jesus. We don't, I, I, we don't understand that. And I, and I think that only happens by the grace, the grace of God. The grace of God. You know, one of the ones that really, I mean, it really touched me, me was when they were burning Christians at the stake and this woman was going to be burned at the stake and they wanted to know if God's grace was sufficient. And they said, if God's grace is sufficient, hold a finger up in the flames. And the, and the writers in Fox's Book of Martyrs said that as the fr- flames rose up, she held up two fingers. That God's grace was more than sufficient. And the, the Circus Maximus, where they fed children and women and Christian men to the wild dogs and the lions, they dress them up in like sheep and throw them, throw them out there. The gladiators, all of those things for entertainment, and you 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 read on the tomb of one of the catacombs that says, here, here, here lies my wife and newborn baby, newborn baby that gave their lives for the glory of God in the Circus Maximus. And then the date. That's amazing. And, uh, so next week, that's what we're going to go to. And I hope that you guys are finding this interesting. Um, 
It's, it's, it, it, and I hope that it's, it's bringing peace to you, that, that, that God is in absolute, absolute control of his plan, that the plans of men will not deviate the plans of God, and he will make them hap- make it happen. We can prolong it, and you're saying, Chad, you can, what are you talking about you pro- prolong the plans of God? Well, didn't the children of Israel prolong the plans of God? Huh? He wanted them to go in and take the promised land. It took 40 more years for them to go in. We can prolong it. God is patient. He's long-suffering, wanting all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we, we, we have a, a plan and a destiny here in our community. We can't, we can't change the world, but we can change our world, right, the world we live in. We, we can't change other people's households, but we can change our ho- household, right? We can't change uh, schools all around the world, but you young people, you can change your school. You can change your workplace. You can change your local government. You know, to tell you the truth, the, some of the, I'm getting off on stuff I shouldn't now, but some of of these cities that are being overrun by re- sin, rebellion, and lawlessness. And city councils are turning blind eyes or actually praising this stuff happening is because Christians refuse to take their place in those city councils. Now, don't, don't say amen too much because we have a city council here in our town. If you think, why? Well, I'm not, I wouldn't be good for that. You're the one that we need. We need people with just common sense and the spirit of God and the willingness that, that, that you want people to succeed and, and what is the best for the community and and. Call, and Cause people to rise up and t- I'm sorry, but you got to have a little bit of accountability. We need we need Christian men and women to step up and take these places in the school boards. And if you think, "Well, I couldn't do that," you're you're right. You can't, but God can. But I, we just told Brett this this morning. If it doesn't take faith, it's not God. You shouldn't go in there if you're not going in there by faith. What we need to take our world back for the kingdom of God. Amen? Chad, that means that I wouldn't be able to watch as much Netflix. I know. I know. You know something? I'm going to preach this probably, and we're going to take a break here in July from this series. I'm going to preach something, but uh, I just want to share something with you. You know, when, when the pilgrims came to America, why did they come? Why did the pilgrims come to America? People say, well, they wanted a better life. They wanted religious freedom. 
for themselves. They knew that the chances of them coming to America, that at least, and they did, at least half of them would die. That lots of them wouldn't even make it to America. They did what they did, not for them. They did it for future generations. You know, it's the same thing of, of a man planting apple seeds, and he's 80 years old, and he's planting apple, apple seeds, and someone's laughing at him. He goes, why are you planting those apple seeds? You're not, you won't even be around by the, time, by the time fruit starts growing on those trees. And he goes, I'm not planting them for me. I'm planting them for the next generation. This is the church that needs to awaken. This is the church that will change this world, will bring redemption. This is the church that will bring back our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, to a victorious, victorious church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you that by your spirit we can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. We thank you that we are more than conquerors in this world, that the victory is ours in Christ Jesus, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We thank you that we do not have to, to base our lives off our emotions or off what we see on the television screen or in our world, but we can be firm and steadfast in the promises of your, your word. That they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So this morning, we ask that you would oh, rise up in us, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken our mortal bodies. That you would strengthen us and give us vision. That you would huh, cause us to go forth and lead a revolution of freedom in Christ. That the glory of God would be manifest in the earth, in our city, in our worlds, in our communities, in our homes. That God would be exalted. And the enemies of Jesus Christ would be put under his feet. We thank you that we are the victorious church. And nothing, nothing can change that. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.